Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Let's take our Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. And uh, if you've already found Philippians chapter 4, you already know this verse. But so I'd like for you to look up here as we begin. Um, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Focused on Finances. And immediately, many people are going to think this. He's going to ask for my money. (laughs) Here we go. You're visiting with us. You go, oh, there's one of these churches. They're always uh, preaching about money. Well, actually, if you're visiting with us, you could ask a church member. I rarely ever mention finances, ever. It's just something that we don't talk about. We get our people give faithfully online or one of our offering boxes. I'm thankful for that. We support a number of missionaries. Our people are very faithful in that area. My message, Focus on the Finances, has nothing to do about me asking you to give money to our church. The message is focused on your finances. And so it's a message to help you with your personal finances this morning. And so take a deep breath, sit back, and allow the Lord to use the message in your personal life this morning and that of your family. Father, I ask that you'll help us this morning as we focus on this message uh, that we might have open ears, a receptive heart, eagerness to follow that which your word says to do, And Lord, we know that you will bless those who obey you. So Father, may we do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This message this morning might be best framed by an article that I read a few years ago, and I I just always caught my attention. The title of the article was this, It's the Money Honey. And the article was about Sylvester Stallone. Do you remember Sylvester Stallone? Uh, He's been in a number of different movies, and and I'm not endorsing that. This is just the article. Uh, It was about Sylvester Stallone and a woman by the name of Janice Dickinson, and and, uh, they wanted to get married, but their wedding plans were stalled over a prenuptial agreement. Here's what the prenuptial agreement said. He offered her a million dollars a year for each year she sticks out in the marriage up to the first five years, plus $250,000 a year and just walk around money, which, is, uh, uh, which after five years, a new deal would be negotiated. Now, folks, I've never counseled ever in all of my years of counseling, 26, 27 years, ever counseled a financial arrangement to get married. Um, uh, A million dollars a year. Well, what kind of man is he if he has to pay someone a million dollars a year to stay married to him and then give $250,000 a year just in walk-around money? Um, But the catch was this is the reason that they would not get married is that Janice said that she wanted $2 million a year plus a million dollars a year because she had children bringing into the marriage. When I read that, it said to me that it does not matter how much money you make, 
Everyone has some financial fears. And uh, I, I just am amazed at some of these things that come out of Hollywood and these arrangements that come out of Hollywood. You know what? I'm thankful I'm a Christian. And honestly, the Bible gives us the best plan for our finances. And do you know what's interesting? Is that we don't have to have a prenuptial agreement with God. Um, that when I'm adopted into his family, uh, he takes care of us. And so tonight, uh, this morning, I just want you to sit back. I want you to take some good notes. And maybe you'll be able to share this message this coming week with someone in your family or the workplace. I'm going to give you some great financial uh, advice from the pages of the Word of God. And I trust that you will listen. And you know, we all recognize that we live in the most affluent nation in all of the world. Yet surveys uh, have been taken and this question has been asked repeatedly. What is your greatest fear? In almost every survey, uh, the greatest fear is number three on the list, and it is this, is that people have a worry about finances. In fact, the truth is, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to maintain, the more you have to insure, the more you have to protect, the more that you worry about losing. And you probably I'm not trying to be funny. This is true. You make payments on things that people in other parts of the world have never even heard of. Uh, It it takes on its own responsibility of all the magnitude of things that we have. So in keeping with our theme this morning, we're going to look at focused on my finances and experiencing God's provision. And one of the most incredible, all-encompassing complex verses in the Word of God is here in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 19. All of us, we've heard this verse, we've quoted it, vast majority may have even memorized this verse. It simply says this, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now this verse is packed with information. And I'd like to break this verse down. And if you mark in your Bibles or you're taking notes, maybe circle a couple of words. First of all, it says this, God shall. I love that word shall. And if you want to circle, underline that, that, uh, that word there, it does not say he might meet your needs. If he's awake, he'll meet your needs and consider it. If he's available, he might meet your needs. If if he has the finances, he might meet your needs. That's not what this verse says. It says he shall. It is a fact. He stakes his character, his reputation on it. God says this, I will meet your needs. And God will do that. The fact is, is that some of us, we have needs this morning. And you're wondering. Well, where is this God? Why has he not met my needs? Go on to this verse. It says that God shall supply. And then he says this, all. If you mark or circle in your Bibles or underline or highlight that little word all, it does not say I'll meet some of your needs. It says that I will meet all of your needs. The fact is all of us have needs from time to time. And the God of heaven says that he'll meet all of your needs. Now, please notice that it does not say, I'll meet all of your greeds. There is a difference between needs and wants. And let me illustrate this in the most practical way. How many of you, by your uplifted hand, say, I am a parent? You're a parent. All right? Uh, That's the vast majority. There are those who are parents and grandparents. And it is true that you do not give your children and grandchildren everything that they want. Or if you do, uh, uh, you're not a very good parent. 
I hope there's some restraint. Why is it that there are things that your children or grandchildren want that you would say no? Here's the, here's the, here's the reality is that every morning for breakfast, your children want Kool-Aid, candy, ice cream. And if you do that, their teeth are going to rot and their teeth are going to have to be replaced. Their growth will be stunted. They'll be hyped up on sugar and, and their life will be miserable and sickly. No, no parent, no grandparent would do that for their, their child. There are some things that we say no to. But our Heavenly Father loves us so much that He's not going to give us everything that we want. Or otherwise, we'd be spoiled to death and we would become incompetent in our Christian life and in serving the Lord. But the Bible does say this, I will meet all of your needs, and then he says this, according to his wealth, according to his riches. Is there anyone who is wealthier than God? I don't believe so. Now, there are some people uh, in this world... Um, like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, that we would say, man, if I just had their money. You know what? God has a lot more money than both of those guys put together. And he says, I will meet uh, your needs. And it's not based on your assets, thank God. It's not based on you. He says, I have vast riches in glory. He says, look there in verse 19, he says, your need in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, please understand. This is only a promise for believers. This is not a promise for everybody. God has not promised to meet everybody's needs. God has not promised to meet the needs of the people who reject His Son. Uh, this is only for believers. These are for people who are in Christ Jesus. But He says, if you're one of my children, if you're in my family, I promise to meet your needs. Then why do... We have financial needs. Why are there are people here this morning that you're struggling to pay your next rent or mortgage payment? And perhaps there's some folks here this morning that you're struggling to pay your utility bill or the braces for your children. Or maybe it's even so desperate that some of you wonder, where am I going to come up with the gas money to put gas in the car? Why is that? I want you to listen carefully. Because I believe the Word of God tells us this morning um, that there are answers to those questions. I'm going to ask you, does God lie? Did God exaggerate? Did God make this up? Is this really true? And so catch this. With every promise, there's a premise. With every promise, there is a premise. There are conditions. There are requirements. There are things that God says, I'll do my part, but you must do your part. And God has laid out financial principles in his word. And there are many financial principles, more than we can go into this morning. Uh, there's principles of saving and principles of spending and principles of giving and principles of investing and, and principles about how to use your resources. There are a lot of principles about finances in the word of God. The Bible is full of principles about finances. Um, there are some conditions that we can look at this morning, and there's specifically five. And we're going to go through this rather quickly this morning, so please follow along. But if you would do all five, or at least embrace these five principles from Scripture, I have something that's great news for you. It's a big promise, and God promises to meet your need. 
God has promised to meet your financial needs if you will focus condition number one, if I ask for help. If I ask for help, it seems so simple. But that's what the Word of God says, is that ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. That is clear. God is waiting for you to ask. God never shuts his storehouse until you shut your mouth. He wants to help, but the problem is, is that we will complain. We will tell somebody else, but we'll never have a private time and talk to God. And we won't share our burdens with the Lord. And when it comes to buying a car, here's how we buy a car. What's my credit score? My credit score is whatever it is, uh, you know, 680, 750, 825, whatever your credit score is. And so you go in, you sit down in the financial uh, uh, manager's office, and he says, if I can get you into this car today, will you buy it? And you know what we say? Yes. We don't stop to think and ask to pray about these decisions. We do it. And then here's what happens. You leave that lot. Those financial managers are not going to allow you to leave the parking lot without your car. They're going to get fired. They will do whatever it, is, whatever it takes to put you in that car, no matter what the payments are. And so before you know it, you've signed your name six times on six different pieces of paper, and someone hands you the car keys, and you drive off with that new car having never talked to God about it, never asked for his help, never asked for his advice, and then 30 days later, something great happens. Would you like to know what that is? The first payment is due. $785? You've got to be kidding me. How am I going to pay for it? And then you wonder, how am I going to make my next mortgage payment? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to put food on the table? And that's because you foolishly went into a car dealership and you drove off the lot with your brand new car, having never counted the cost and never talked to God. Woo, he's getting quiet in here. <laughs> Do you know what Matthew 7, verse 7 says? Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. <clears throat> in, this, in this verse, it says that we are to ask, seek, and we're to knock. Do you know what the first three letters of those words make up? The word ask. God is saying in three ways. Get the message over 20 times in the New Testament. God says, ask. I want you to ask. And one of the reasons that we never see miracles in our life is that we never ask for it. Would you like to see God do something great in your life? Not even uh, with finances, but in other areas of your family relationships. If you want God to do something great in the lives of your children and your grandchildren, you want God to do something and perform a miracle in your workplace, you need to talk to him about it. You need to ask. Here's focus condition number two is that before you pay for it, pray for it. Before you pay for it, pray for it. Have you ever actually stopped and asked God? God, uh, give God a chance to do something and work out the situation for you. You probably depend more on your charge card than you do Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to be funny. The reality is as long as they take my, that piece of plastic, you keep spending. And here's what happens, and I'm saying this happens in our church, Tucson Baptist Church. Here's what happens is that I max out this Visa card, and guess what? I get an advertisement in the mail. 
that says that, listen, I can transfer my balance, and they give me a bigger balance, and so what I do is in the name of I'm going to pay off this credit card, it really will help me and benefit me if I pay off this credit card, I'm going to apply for this new credit card that has a higher debt, and guess what? If you got in trouble uh, maxing out this credit card, moving that balance over here is only going to mean you're going to balance uh, max out this one with a new amount, because we trust in a piece of plastic more than we trust in Jesus Christ of whom we've sang about this morning. You're living, you're going to live within your income. Uh, you're going to, I have a lifestyle that I want to maintain even if I have to charge it. God says, when's the last time you ask me for something? When's the last time you ask me to provide something in your life? Why does God want me to ask? Because he's a loving father. And loving fathers know how to give and bestow gifts to their children. And I love to give my kids things. And, and I know that I'm a loving father. And if my children need something or I find out my grandchildren need something, um, honestly, they don't even, it, it's, I'm just waiting for them to ask. And the answer is yes. As soon as they ask, I, I want to be a loving father. I want to help my children and my grandchildren. That's no difference than our Heavenly Father in heaven. In John 16 and verse 24, Jesus is talking and he says this, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Why does God want me to ask? So that he can give to you. Why does he want to give to me? Uh, um, so that I can receive that. Why does he want me to receive? So that I can be full of joy as a Christian. And as, uh, if I am a joyful Christian, you know what I am? I'm a great advertisement for Christianity. Joyful Christians are a positive testimony. And sourpuss Christians sucking on pickles, they're a bad testimony. It seems like they've been baptized in vinegar instead of water. And I, I'm tired of so many Christians being sourpuss Christians. They're looking like they've been sucking on lemons and sour dill pickles, and, and uh, that's their personality. Listen, I serve a great God that wants your life to be full of joy. And if you pray as much about your finances as you worry about them, you would have a lot less to worry about. Um, before you pay for it, pray for it. Here's focus condition number three. Uh, number three. Is that right? Yeah, number, no, number two. Sorry, number two. If I learn to be content. Uh, if I learn to be content. Why is that? Because God is far more interested in your character than he is your comfort. Now, he does want us to ask, and there's some conditions there, but focus condition number two is this, is if I learn to be content. He wants you to grow up and mature, and he wants you to be more like Jesus, and he's not just interested in making life easy so much as he's, he watches our attitude and our interactions. And, and if I bought into the system that I think having more will make me happier, if I just intend to use all the wealth selfishly, if I tend to think about things more than I think about God, why in the world would he aid that addiction? He's watching our attitude. Have you learned? to be content. I go back to the car illustration. Some of you can relate to this. You buy that brand new car. It smells so good. It's amazing they can't make that as a cologne. 
that smell of that brand spanking new car. You drive it off the lot. You're so proud of it. In fact, you know how it is that you're going to bring it to church, but only instead of fighting over the parking space over here, it's brand new. You're parking all the way in the back, and you're taking two spots because you don't want anyone to get a dent in it. In fact, you've put the child seats in the back, and, and now your children aren't allowed to eat crackers, and they're not allowed to eat goldfish anymore. And the sippy class is only water. And then here's what happens. One day you're in a hurry, and you run through the line at McDonald's, and you got to get a Happy Meal. Now, children, don't you spill anything back there. And you give them their Happy Meals, and you're driving along, and one of them spills milk in the back seat. Instantly, your car's not new anymore. I have a truck. I, I, I like the truck. The Lord provided a truck for me. I, I just have always liked trucks. And, and uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, the, the pastors were in, in my truck. And, and, um, and uh, one of my children uh, that lives in this area um, was with me. And he got in my truck that I try to keep clean and nice. And he got in, I don't know what happened, and he spilled a whole cup of coffee. It went everywhere, from the gear shift to the door. It's not new anymore. I have a new smell, and it's not, it's not a new truck smell. I despise coffee. My truck smells like coffee. I need a new truck. I'm not content anymore. That's how it is with us. We aren't content. But you know what Paul wrote to Timothy? He said this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, there's some that you're trying to be godly, but this whole area of contentment's a struggle. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food... And raiment or clothing, the Bible says, let us be therewith, what? Content. Have you ever seen a baby born? It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's, a, it's just fascinating that this baby comes into this world with not a whole lot of stuff. Uh, they're not holding cigars, and they're not holding cars, and they're not holding stuff. In fact, they come into the world very, uh, they come into the world without anything except an umbilical cord, and it's cut very quickly. Have you ever been to a funeral service? Thank you for all those who came to the Lowry service last Monday and encouraged Glenda and Pam. Fact is, is that when Ron lay there in that casket, uh, his earthly body was there, but his soul was already in heaven. But, you know, he didn't take anything with him. Nothing. And uh, so, therefore, the things here on earth are just things that we use for 80 or so years. And Jesus said this, learn to be content. Do not sweat it. Do not uh, make it the most, um, do not make things the most important thing in life. The most important things in life are not things, they are people. What is contentment? Contentment is not not having any goals. Contentment is not not having ambition. Contentment is not even not having financial goals. Financial goals are fine, but I want you to notice in your notes it says spiritual uh, financial focus. Contentment means my happiness is not dependent upon my circumstances. When people are 
caught up in a when thinking, when I get such and such, then I'll be happy. When I get to a certain level economically, then I'll be happy. When I get a certain job, then I'll be happy. Uh, When I get the bills paid off, then. God says, no, once you get there, there's always another level. There's always something else. You always want more, and that's in our human nature. And God says this, I want you to learn to be content. Howard Hughes at his time, was one of the wealthiest men in America when, at the time of his death. But he was asked this question, how much does it take to make a man happy? And he said, quote, just a little more. God says, I want you to learn contentment. And uh, it's not not having goals. It, it is saying my happiness, my joy is dependent upon the Lord, not all the circumstances in my life. Paul learned something about contentment. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, I know how to, be, I know how to have some hard times and I know how to have some good times. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And, and then he says, I have to learn to be content wherever I am in life. Contentment is something we learn. It's not natural. We strive to to learn to be content. Um, It's not natural for us to be content. I, by nature, am naturally discontent, and so are you. And by your nature, you are naturally discontent. This is an area of our life that we have to learn. How do you learn to be content? Well, there really is a, a second requirement for God to be working in your life. You learn contentment by stopping doing what causes discontentment. You learn contentment by stopping Doing what causes discontentment. Comparing causes a person to be discontent. Man, you should see where they live. Man, you should see how she dresses. You should see her collection of purses. Or did you see that? Did you see that car in the back parking lot? And so we compare, and it causes discontentment. Um, It's ill-advised to compare houses and clothes and and things like that. A a, a year ago, I... Um, much of our ministry uses uh, Apple products, and, and uh, honestly, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just old. I can't, I can't adapt to this new system. I'm Windows-based, and so uh, I asked Pastor Jonathan to get me a, a, a Windows-based laptop, and so he got me a, a, a laptop that I could use whenever I'm studying at home or traveling on a mission trip, and so I got this laptop, and it was great. It, uh, I, I loved it. I, I loved the keyboard. Uh, I loved how fast it was. Until I was on the airplane and I saw that there was a faster one. There was a better one. I thought I had the latest. In literally less than 30 days, there's a better, there's a better laptop out there. The fact is, is that we're always comparing. We're always looking for a newer model, a newer something. That's a, lot of, that's a, that's a problem in a lot of marriages too. That we failed to learn contentment in our marriage because we're always looking for a newer, better model. The fact is, is that we need to learn contentment. And we need to stop being discontent because in discontentment, God says this. You can't handle what I want to give you because you're putting too much priority on all the things in your life right now. If you want God to bless you more and you want God to rain down abundance into your life, learn to be content where you are. Have you learned to be content? Well, God has promised to meet all of our financial needs if, number one, I ask for help, and number two, I learn to be content. 
Focus condition number three is this, that God will meet and provide for me if you practice giving in faith. If you practice giving in faith. This is called the law of, law of harvest, and it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It simply says this, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. I say this. If you ever feel pressured to give, like your arm is twisted behind your back and you have to give out of guilt, do not, because you're not giving cheerfully. God sees our heart. I love giving back to the church. I love giving uh, to missions. I love giving to our stewardship, because I really would like to see those restrooms replaced in the gym. I love giving. I love giving once I hear someone has a need, or, or I, I just love giving. Um, you should love giving and do so cheerfully. Um, you do not get any credit if you give under pressure. You give out of guilt. You give begrudgingly. You get, you get extra credit when you give cheerfully, when you love giving. Do you realize this? I want you to all think about this. Well, I earn my job. I, I, have, I am a self-made man. I have what I have because of me. That's so foolish. You have what you have because a God in heaven blessed you. And therefore, because a God in heaven blessed you, how in the world can we be selfish and not give back to him? If you ever get a fundraising letter or an appeal letter or somebody comes to your door asking you to give something and you feel guilty um, uh, about giving, I want you to say this. My pastor said you're making me feel guilty and I don't have to give. <laughs> you don't have to give out of guilt. God loves a cheerful giver. But it shows the condition of your heart. The Bible says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Uh, there, there's promises here. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And this principle is the law and the principle of life. Do you know what? If you sow criticism, you're going to reap criticism. And if you sow kindness, you're going to reap kindness. And if you sow generosity, it's going to come back to you. And if you're an energetic person and you sow energy, uh, you're going to reap generous, uh, energy. It's amazing. Uh, but if you go to a club and work out, uh, you will feel tired. But the next day, you have more energy because by expanding energy, uh, you produce more energy. It's like giving blood. You give blood and it reproduces itself. It multiplies within your body. It's an amazing, amazing thing that God created in us. It's a principle of sowing and reaping. I grew up part of my life on a farm. We had many acres of crops. And uh, I learned a few things about farming. But here's what I, I did learn is that when a farmer says there's no crop, he doesn't go about griping when he has four bags of seed that he needs to plant. You know what a farmer does? He goes and plants the seed. He goes out and it reproduces and he, gets, he, he weeds and he waters and he fertilizes it. And those four bags of seeds turns into 40 bags of seed. It's a law of sowing and reaping. Some of you this morning, you say, I can't afford to plant. I can't afford to sow. You don't know how bad it is as you sit on four bags of seed that need to be sown. 
Um, it's true of your money. It's true of everything in life. Um, God says, my ways are not your ways. And, and that's why God loves to provide when we are down and out and we ask and we, and we allow him to provide for us. He's the most generous giver in all of the universe. And God wants you to, be, to learn to be more like him. His number one characteristic is that God is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. God wants you to learn to be generous. If you do not learn to be generous, um, if you do not learn to give, and if you want to be stingy and miserly and always worrying about what you have, uh, have, have got rather than giving away, you're never ever going to be like Christ. Christ was always giving to help other people, and his needs were met. Jesus said this, give. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God says this. Now, I'll get your attention. God says this. Let us play a game. Who can give the most? And God wants to build character in you, and he wants you to learn to be a giver. And he says this, give, and it shall be given unto you. The point is this, is that uh, when I hoard my money, when I hoard my resources, when I hoard what I have, um, uh, that's it. That's what I have. But when I give it away, and when I invest it, it multiplies, and God takes it, and he uses it. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 8. There's some alls in this verse. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. If this verse is true, then why in the world do we worry? Proverbs 3 says this, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. It's the principle of tithing in this verse all the way back in the book of Proverbs. And that is that if I make $100, $10 go back to the Lord. Don't even think about it. I don't question it. And many of you, there's hundreds of you that do the exact same thing. And then there's hundreds of you who struggle not doing that, and you wonder why my finances are a wreck and why I have nothing. Tithing is an act of worship. I'm giving back what already belongs to the Lord. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you say Jesus is number one in your life, but he is not number one in your finances, he is not first. May I say that again? Some of you this morning, you say, hey, Jesus is number one in my life, but he is not number one in your finances, then he is not number one in your life. Quit kidding yourself. Give the first part of your income to the Lord and be blessed. Well, focus condition number four is this. He says that, hey, I'm going to meet all your needs if you ask. If you ask. In other words, I want you to talk to me. But here on focus condition number four, he says, if you maintain your integrity. If you maintain your integrity. So this is a condition. I'm going to meet every need that you have if you maintain your integrity. God does not bless dishonesty. A just weight and a balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. That includes uh, 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 your wages and the, and the things that you give. If you want God's blessing on your finance, you have to be honest. You cannot rip people off. The world does that, not Christians. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity 
the Bible says. Why is that? Because Jesus said, For what shall a prophet a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. Have you ever known someone that made money and it just brought trouble to them? Pride made dishonestly, a profit made through pride dishonestly always brings trouble. Always. You will always reap what you sow. And if you're dishonest with others, I promise you it will be returned to you. And if you think you have not been caught, the clock is still ticking. Sometimes uh, the pressure to get ahead or just the pressure to keep up is so overwhelming that even we as Christians, believers, are often tempted to compromise our ethics. This is a, a little silly illustration, but it happened. A couple of weeks ago, I stopped at a place that I like to buy iced tea. Um, and uh, I ordered uh, iced tea, and uh, the lady misunderstood, and uh, she made me two iced teas, and she put them on the counter there, and I had only paid for one. And I called her name, and I said, um, um, are both of these mine? And she said, yes, you ordered two. And I said, but I only paid for one. I said, I need to pay for this one. And she says, nobody does that. They just walk out. Now, I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just a silly, silly illustration. It's $5.85. But the fact, in that moment, ethics mattered. And it made an impression on her. A lot of times we see if we can get by just like the world, and we can skate by, and we are dishonest. But the Bible says this. Don't miss this. I will meet all of your needs if you have integrity. It requires integrity. God has said that he will meet your needs if I ask for his help, if I learn contentment, if I give in faith, and if I maintain my integrity. And that decision to do what is right and trust God is not a once-for-all decision. It's a daily, it is a moment-by-moment decision that every time I go out, I must understand this. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. You want God to richly bless you? There has to be some integrity in the way you live your life. It's a condition. And we come to our focus condition number five as we finish this morning. That is this. If I trust him with my life. If I trust him with my life. When I was a kid, anytime I had a need, I'd go to my father, and we didn't have much, but I'd say, Dad, it's, uh, we, I, I, I need, a, a, this is hard to believe, but I need $3 for our, our stop at, uh, after our soccer game. Uh, I, I need $3, and $3 in, back in uh, the late 70s, early 80s was a lot of money to my dad and mom, and uh, we didn't have much, uh, but somehow my dad always came up with those three, that $3 so that I could have a meal after a soccer game or after a basketball game game. Um, uh, Here's the thing, is that until I became an adult, I never worried about that. I never thought about that. I said, Dad, I need $3 uh, that I can get something after the soccer game today. I never worried about where he was going to get the money or where he was going to find the money. Do you know what? It was Dad. It was his job to come up with it. I never worried about that. He's the father. I'm the kid. Kids spin. Fathers make. It's a great deal. 
Many of us act like spiritual orphans. When Jesus saved you and God adopted you into his family, you forgot that you have a heavenly father and it's your heavenly father who already knows what you need and just he's waiting for you to ask. Do you know I'd have never gotten $3 to go eat at Hardee's or McDonald's after a soccer game unless I'd have asked my dad because my dad, even though he probably knew I needed it, unless I asked, he didn't volunteer to give me $3. But when I asked, he provided. And our Heavenly Father knows what you need in life, if you'll but ask. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, the Bible says. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow should take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And nothing in all creation worries except human beings. The birds don't worry. The plants do not worry. The only thing in all creation that worries are human beings. And everything else trusts the Heavenly Father to, as the Creator to care for their needs. And the Bible says that He even takes care of the birds. And He even knows how many hairs are on, the, on your head. And He'll take care of you if you'll, trust, if you'll just but trust in Him. That is the bottom line in here. How much do you trust God? Now, I'm going to say something that's going to alarm Several of you, because among us, there are many people who worry. You worry if the sun's going to be out. You worry if it's going to rain. You worry if it's going to be hot or you worry if it's going to be cold. You worry if, it, if, some, if one of your children is going to uh, uh, drive unsafely and you worry if they're going to drive safely. There's some of you worry if you're going to get sleep or you don't get sleep. You, worry, you love to worry. I want you to listen to this next statement. Worry Worry, that word worry, that action of worry, it is a strict form of atheism. What? I'm a Christian. What do you mean I'm an atheist? Worry is a form of atheism. Every time I worry, I'm acting like an atheist. Every single time I worry about something, I'm acting like an atheist. You're saying it all depends on me. It's up to me. Uh, there is no heavenly father. It's all up to me. But if I'm a Christian, I have a heavenly father. And that heavenly father has a big hand. And that hand can provide. That hand can dish out. That hand can, can meet all of my needs. Worry is a warning light that you doubt the love of God. It, it's, a, it's like that red light that flashes on your dashboard when the car is it, it's about to break down. Worry is that. Is that I don't trust God. Paul said this, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. No matter how much you make, you could lose it. You could lose your finances through a health crisis or a lawsuit or a disaster. You could be wiped out in a matter of months, irrespective of how much you possess. We must always remind ourselves, my security is not my bank account. And I, as I think about retirement now, and as I see it out there a few years on the horizon, and suddenly we really have to take that seriously, I have to accept this, is that my security is ultimately in the Lord. I'm not hoping in wealth. I'm not, ho I'm not hoping in that dollar amount that's in my bank account or not in my bank account, I must say my hope is in the Lord. 
And if God turns off this faucet, I know that he's able to turn on this faucet. And if he, for some of you, if he closes this job down, there is another job. But the bottom line is, I have to seek the Lord. I have to ask him. He hath given meat unto them that fear him, and he will ever be mindful of his covenant. And the book of Romans tells us that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to pay for your salvation. And if God loves you so much to send his own son to die for you, don't you think he loves you enough to meet your needs? If God's going to give his own son, he also loves you enough to take care of you. The theme verse for this passage really could be found in Psalm 34 and verse number 4. Maybe you could circle this in your notes. Psalm 34 and verse number 4. The Bible says this. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he heard me. The answer to your fears... This morning, if you're visiting a regular attender or or a member, the answer to your fears is simply this. It's the person, Jesus Christ. Did you notice that all of our songs had a theme this morning? They were all about Jesus. And the answer to your fears, the answer to your provision, the answer to those struggles that you might have this morning in your family, the answer that, uh, that you have in struggles in the job and workplace, the answer that you have in your private life and things that are, that are out of kilter in your private life, the answer is Jesus Christ. And he has promised specifically in this area of finances that I will focus on these five spiritual conditions that he will meet my needs. If I, as I conclude this message, oh, you can close up your notes and your Bibles and everything so you can listen as I finish. I'm almost done. If you're serious about being set free from financial fears, I want you to listen to this. It's your choice. Now, some have made unwise decisions, and you are in a mess of your own making. You didn't pray. You never sought God. There hasn't been a life of integrity. You haven't given your life to the Lord. And, there, and really, you are in a mess financially, whether it's with a car payment or an or, 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 uh, apartment. I couldn't pull out the word apartment. An apartment or a rental place where you wanted to live higher than your means. And, and you have, um, your children wanted this game. And you, uh, bought them the, uh, you bought them that game plus a whole bunch of other things. And, and you have spent, 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 never asking for provisions to be met. And you you know that you're in a mess today because of decisions you made because you never followed these principles. I want to challenge you this morning to solidify your commitment to the Lord. That if you are going to start asking God for help in your finances and that will become a regular part of your prayer life and you're going to start learning to Be content and to stop comparing yourself to everyone else. And you do not even know what their financial situation is. And yet we want to compare ourselves to someone else. Are you going to live with integrity and be honest in your finances? Are you going to trust Jesus completely in every part of your life? We've examined these five conditions. Some of you are doing well. 
God has blessed you because you have done these five conditions. And you continue to do these five conditions. Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. And there's some of us this morning, we say we love him, but we hold on to our finances and we haven't given those to the Lord because we don't want to ask. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to be honest. We don't want to give in faith. We don't want to be content. And the problem with that is we're in the mess we're in.